I said last week, uh, I was asking a personal question. And that personal question is, what are you building? You see, I actually said, and just to recap, if you haven't watched it, if you weren't here, um, is that if, um, if you were uh, not here, just to say, we're either builders or breakers. Uh, and there are some people who are more breakers than builders. You know, the sofa cynics, you, you know, the passive ones. Uh, they, they, they're more like a sloth than a chipmunk. Do you know what I mean? The people who simply want to hang around and criticize and critique what other people do. And uh, I hope you're not a breaker today. I hope there's no one in the Wellspring family that is a breaker, is just pulling things down. We're, we're involved in construction. I don't know about you, but I'm under construction, but I'm also involved in construction of a different world, of the kingdom of God here on earth. And so the question is, what are you building? And that, you know, the great thing is about the kingdom of God is that the menial doesn't need to be meaningless. The, the everyday stuff doesn't need to lose its meaning because when we do it for the kingdom, even the most kind of basic or boring task can have meaning. It, it can be even magnificent. You know, changing that nappy. Uh, What we do with our our hands and our our legs and our money and our time, those things can have, they can have kingdom outcomes. And that's what we looked at last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this was the challenge, you know, is that um, will what we are doing with our lives and our time and our money, will it last? That's a really important question. Will what we're going to do tomorrow and today, will it last beyond our own kind of satisfying our own needs. And so I want to build on that. And I mentioned 1 Corinthians uh, 3 last week is where we were. Well, at the end of um, chapter 15, so the same letter, and this is where the Apostle Paul is challenging the church about compromise. Let me just read this to you. And this is a section about the resurrection of the dead. It's a section where he's talking about the resurrection bodies. He's got heaven clearly in focus. And listen to what he says in verse 58. So, my dear brothers and sisters, listen to this. Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing, everyone say nothing. Nothing Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Oh, what a promise that is. Nothing. Washing the dishes for the Lord makes it useful. Because I know the the dishes just get dirty again. It's really boring. But you know what? Some some of those small things when we do them for the Lord, take this as a promise. This is for someone today. This might be all that you need to hear from the Lord today. What you're doing is not useless when you're doing it for the Lord. Even if other people look down on it, they don't understand, they don't get it, 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 who cares what they think? Yes? What matters if we're doing it for the Lord, it is not wasted, it is not useless. Hallelujah. The the menial becomes meaning. That just a job, when it's done for the Lord, can become just the job. Because it's where God's placed you with, the people he's placed you with. It's really important we get that mindset really clear. You know, it's possible to get GCSEs for Jesus. Yes? You can either do it for yourself or you can do it for him. It puts a different complexion on studies, on trying to get a degree or build a career. If we're doing it for the Lord, then do you know what he's worth, that extra hour of studies for your A-levels, for your your degree program, for your, your industrial qualification? He's worth it if it's an act of worship for him. And nothing we do for the Lord is ever wasted. Amen? 
And in this, we hear God's heart is he doesn't want us to waste our lives. And so last week we were looking, that's just a recap of our own personal part in things. But I also want to talk, I want to talk more today collectively, what is God's heart for us as a church family? What are we building? That's just as challenging a question, isn't it? It's really an important question. As a church, with all the resources, the money, the time, the effort we put together, what are we actually building? Well, I hope to bring some uh, encouragement about God's heart for us today. And we're going to look at the book of Isaiah. Now, if you've been in the reading plan, you've spent some time in a middle section of the book of Isaiah every day, just a few verses. David read from uh, the latter part of Isaiah 54 just a few minutes ago. Well, we're going to look at uh, chapter 54, but let's just take a note. When it comes to applying Old Testament prophecy, we need to be careful and we need to be wise. If, if we cannot take pages and words that were written uh, about things that are not directly to do with us without asking a question, what is God's heart in this passage? You see, that transfers across. Some of what we're going to read in a moment was about a time generations ago, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. Things, some of which have been fulfilled, and some of which perhaps we're the fulfillment of, and some of which are still yet to be fulfilled. So we have to be careful. But you can always ask this question when you're reading the scriptures, God, what is your heart in this? That's a good question when you're reading the Bible. And so we're asking ourselves that question as we do that. Before we read God's word together, perhaps we should take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. We thank you, God, for the, the revelation that comes from this holy book. And Lord, I simply want to pray that you would speak through uh, your word today, Lord. We ask for those of us at home and those in the room we don't want to presume that we know it all or we've learned it all. Lord, actually, we want to come to you like students are like children saying, teach me. And we're saying, Holy Spirit, would you show us what we need to say today and what we need to see today? Lord, show me what you want me to say and show us what we need to see in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay, so in chapter 53 of Isaiah, very famous passage about the Lord's suffering servant. We now know that to be about Jesus, about his suffering, about him taking the shame of the world on himself. And it finishes in verse 12 of 53 um, with his victorious, he's like a victorious soldier. He exposed himself to death, but he's now victorious. Okay, so that's about Jesus. Then interestingly, straight after the most famous prophecy about Jesus' death comes this in chapter 54. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who've never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home and spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Can you hear the heart of God? You see, this is to a group of people who are in exile, okay? They're a long way from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's in ruins. And the Lord's saying, I'm going to send you back. But guess what? The city is going to sing. 
And now's the time to enlarge and make room for that song. It, from desolation to delight, that's what's going to happen. When the Lord does something, I want to say this today, if you're in a place right now of barrenness, desolation and despair, I believe the Lord would want to say to you, my heart for you is to go from that to be in a state of delight. From barrenness to abundance. And listen, this is really important because sometimes we separate the physical and the spiritual. You know, as I'm talking about the cloud is the spiritual. And I don't mean uh, electronically, the IT cloud. I mean, you know, when we're, when we're kind of there and there's angels and we're just kind of floating as disembodied spirits on a cloud, as if that's spiritual uh, and if God's more interested in that than he is the physical. Well, that's not evident in the scriptures. What we see evidence of in the scriptures, God created the earth. He created the earth and he's going to redeem the earth. And he's as interested in the physical as he is the spiritual. Can I hear an amen? amen. That, that shows because he's saying to the city, you need to get bigger because I'm going to do something in you. He's speaking to a city and saying, get bigger. And so he cares about the physical. Now, we sometimes get obsessed with the material, but that doesn't mean we should go the other way and think that some things are spiritual and valuable and the physical things don't matter. I wonder if you could tell the people that have been baptized in this building that the physical doesn't matter. The person who came here and found a job and then heard about Jesus and got baptized, you tell them it didn't matter this building was here. Of course it matters. And God is interested in both the physical and the spiritual. The kingdom of God is going to be both. It is both, and it's going to be both. And I want to break down that kind of dualism because God is interested. He created the stuff the bricks were made from here. He created that, and he redeems that. He wants us to use that. So the question is, what are we building? Not just what are you building, but what are we building? I want to talk not about the me, but about the we. Let's talk about we for a while. Uh, you know, uh, I think sometimes we are so programmed by our culture that we miss the, the rampant individualism of the way that we think. And in the church, all over the place, there are very individualistic ways of even reading the Bible. I'll give you an example. Last week, I mentioned the passage in Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple of verses. And I stumbled this week across an interpretation of that that made it all about me and how brilliant I am and how God loves me, right? I don't know how we do that, but they, they extracted it from, this, from these words. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. For God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we, everyone say we. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Isn't that amazing? It's all about we. You see, I mean, okay, let me just pick on you, my brother. I mean, you're a very handsome man, really. Okay? Now, I'd like to be able to say that this passage was just saying that you are God's masterpiece. And the truth is, okay, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but Paul's not talking about you, he's talking about you. And he's saying, you are God's masterpiece. That's easier to understand, that's easier to believe, isn't it? It's easy to believe, well, I don't know about me, but the people around. Do you know what? We, the church of Jesus Christ, are God's finest work. 
It says in other places in Ephesians that he's showing us off to all the principalities and darkness and saying, look, see my church. You can't divide them from different nations and backgrounds and, and ages and education levels. Do you know what? Look at that. That is my finest work. Not you, but you. All of us together are God's masterpiece. I found, I put in a, a Google image search, I said, I wonder if I can get a t-shirt on Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 verse 10. Look at this. Uh, let's have this. So, um, so the, um, the, look, look at this. Um, this is, you type in Ephesians 2.10 t-shirt. Now look at that lovely, hairy, chunky guy saying, you are God's masterpiece. Now, I don't think that t-shirt's for the, the church. Actually, it's a really good way. Maybe, maybe that works for him. And he goes on his first date, you know, and he's trying to impress a girl. Maybe he just wears that T-shirt. Your God's masterpiece. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or try this one. This is even worse, right? This is an Ephesians 2.10 T-shirt. Uh, can we have that one up? I am complete. What? The Apostle Paul is turning in his grave. That's not what... That's what you're not complete. You're part of the church which is God's master. It has nothing to do with I am complete. Honestly, please don't buy that T-shirt. Please don't waste your money. But you see, we get programmed into the me when God's heart is for the we. Hallelujah. So when it comes to these things, we need to... And do you know what? I'm going to do... I wasn't sure whether I was going to do this, but I've got a pen here. I might as well. All right? And because I'm old and predictable... Um, I'm going to use a brilliant illustration. I want you to be wowed by this. All right? If you're wowed by this, then I need to hear to say, wow, okay, afterwards. So, so this is, um, hopefully you can see this okay at home. Okay. So have you heard this illustration before? Okay. This is the church. But what is missing? You are. Now, isn't that so cringy? But I'm doing it anyway. And this is the, uh, wow. This is, uh, this is on the internet. My mum's going to see this and my friends from school. Now, <laughs> it's, it's not very clever, but I did it anyway. Um, it was a bet. Um, so, listen, what is God's heart? God's heart is for us to build something together. As we turn to Isaiah 54 again, uh, we read in the first line, it's really important that we just take a few minutes to, to break this down, then we're going to pray together. Then we're going to give together and see what God wants to do amongst us. Okay, Isaiah 54, the first verse. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Maybe this has been your experience before. Maybe you've known of someone who's tried and tried and tried. And there's a sorrow that comes from being childless. Think about Abraham and Sarah. How long it was for them to be without a child. And there's this really profound... Uh, and I love, the, I love the book of Genesis, the way it tells us. In, in chapter 18 of Genesis, when God says to Sarah, you're going to have a baby, she laughs. Uh, and she laughs, kind of cynically, perhaps. She, she laughs, and she says, uh, and the Lord says, why are you laughing? She goes, I'm not laughing. <laughs> it's a great, I love the story. I'm not laughing. She was. But it was a laugh of cynicism, you know. 
It was a laugh of, I don't really believe you, God. Interestingly, just a couple of chapters later, in Genesis chapter 21, it's amazing how uh, this goes. And let me quickly find it. In Genesis chapter 21, let me read this to you. It won't come up on the screen. The Lord kept his word, and he did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? Anyone, any Bible scholars know? Laughter. Laughter. (laughs) Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Verse 6, and Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse a baby, yet I've given Abraham a son in his old age? There's a kind of laughter that comes as a result of long longing and then fulfillment, you know? Uh, That's what, what Isaiah says. In Jerusalem, there will be a song of delight that would be that kind of equivalent, like a barren woman having a baby. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! Praise you, God! Even more than that, by the thousand, the city will laugh. Hallelujah. The city will laugh because of the fulfillment of God's purpose. This laughter will be filling Jerusalem again. Now, I just want to break this down very quickly. In terms of what we're building here in extending this church center, it's really, I hope you catch this. There are three things I just want to quickly share. Firstly, a place of praise. What we're building is a place of praise. When we extend this, make no mistake, Many people will come here and get help and, and learn language and they'll get support and they'll, I don't know, find jobs and all loads of really, really good stuff. But the extended wellspring and this building now, it is to be a place of praise. The instruction is sing, O childless woman. Honestly, I don't know what we can do to convince the government it is safe now to sing in church. Come on. We're desperate to, aren't we? We're desperate to praise the Lord and we will fill this place with praise again. And when we knock that wall down, there'll be even more places, even more space to give God praise because we were born to do this. We were born to do this. And I know what it's like at home. You're on the sofa and the songs, the videos that are playing and they're great. And you might have had a few moments over the last year where you've really felt connected to God. But you know full well there is nothing like the gathering of a people in praise. Honestly, maybe someone else has figured out how to do this, but I'm not sure you can really praise unless you can feel the room shaking, unless you can look around a room and see other people giving their all. Hallelujah. Unless there's a shout in the place. Uh, We need to build a place of praise. We must gather and we must praise. And we've got a long way to go, church family, to become all that God wants us to be as a people of praise. But I'm telling you, we won't become a, a church strong in faith until we become a people who love to gather to praise the Lord. Amen. Where the roof is lifted off. Hallelujah. And you know, that, you know, you know you've really praised when you, you, after a while you have to take a breath. Like, oh, oh, really just want to applaud, just want to shout. And you can't do that in the same way to a screen. So this will be a place of praise, a loud 
and joyful song. Secondly, what we're building is a house of joy. It says, break into loud and joy. No, I love loud. Can I just say, I love loud. There's, there's time when you want to be kind of just quiet in God's presence. There's room for contemplation. But when the people have got to come together, isn't it better? It's loud. It's like, this is God's. There will be loud and joyful praise in this building. It's the same word. When it talks about joyful, it's the same word you find in Psalm 30, verse 5, where it says, weeping will come in the night, but joy comes through the morning. Same word, joy. And I don't mean momentary happiness. I mean the reassurance that you're loved and the knowledge that your life has value and the sense of being united with other people in a purpose. That is joy. And I celebrate with all the Watford fans, including myself, of the promotion. You know, what there is is there's a happiness. But do you know what? Soon there's going to be a loss. But that's not how it is in the house of joy, is that even through the toughest time, there's a deep-seated joy that is not down to what 11 men do on a pitch to kick a ball in a goal. Can I hear an amen? amen? This is joy. Now, we are in the middle of a mental health crisis. The pandemic has accelerated all of that. I myself just last week uh, was part of, in fact, uh, Carl McLean is also undertaking mental health first aid awareness training. We've got many wellspringers being signed up to be befrienders. And if you want to find out more about that, David will say a bit more. But we are, we are going to be really, really good in this coming season at listening, at coming alongside and helping people. But, you know, we are going to help people in the name of Jesus in the name of the joy bringer. And when we as a church help people with their mental health needs, we're going to do it prayed up, full of the Holy Spirit, believing that we can be like Jesus to them and show them the kind of love and acceptance that will see many go from despair to joy. Yes? Not the momentary lifting of a mood, but the sense that their life has purpose. This will be a house of joy. And we need to build the willow suite. It'll be kind of down there somewhere. There'll be a suite of rooms that we're going to build that will be places for listening and counselling. And that's really, really important that we build that. We need to build those rooms. They're expensive rooms. We need to build them. There is a safe space in the heart of Watford where we, Wellspring Wellness, can help hundreds of people over the years, maybe even thousands. We need to do that, but we also ultimately want people to go from despair to joy in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thirdly, what we're building here, the reason we need to extend, is we're building a home for generations. A home for generations. It says in verse 3, For you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. The context of this is descendants, is children. But these children are sent from Jerusalem to bring redemption in other places. Listen, the, the reason we need to build the sycamore suite with amazing rooms so that we can gather dozens and dozens, even hundreds of children, Monday to Sunday actually, will come here and they will hear about the love of Jesus and they'll experience the warmth of his church. The reason is they're going to grow up here. And then they're going to come into the youth lounge, which will kind of be over there. A dedicated youth lounge, which will be a home from home 
for our, for our secondary school age. Do you know what's going to happen? Is one day they're going to leave this place and go, I don't know, off to university. They're going to go off to, to workplaces, to mission places, to work and to study and to live for the kingdom because they have a spiritual home. So we need to build these rooms because this place is already, but it will be a home for generations in Jesus' name. A place they feel like home. That even if their parents move house, you know, even if stuff changes in their other world, do you know what? This, this is going to be their spiritual home. And I prophesy that in Jesus' name. And we need to build the rooms that provide space for more people to identify the Wellspring Church Centre as their spiritual home. You know what home is? A sense of belonging. A home where children and young people, boys and girls, say, I belong here. And you know what? We're going to get over this pandemic. The masks are going to come off. Thank you, Jesus. And, and, And all the things that restrict us, they are going to be part of history before long. And listen, if your kids are not sure about coming back or whatever, look, they're really, they've got very plastic brains at a young age, and they can cope with lots of things. So I'd say to parents, help them through the change. Now, if you're at home saying, I'm not sure what it's like, listen, we'll do everything we can to help you, but as soon as you feel comfortable and able, bring your kids. And Dave will explain the timeline for that. He's roadmapping at the moment. But listen, when you get the chance... Let's get all generations together into a place of praise. And when we give, let's give and to believe that this will be a home for generations in Jesus' name. Sent to the nations. So, okay, so I'm coming into land here. So what, what did this mean? You see, it's interesting in Isaiah, and this is my last point before we pray. It says in Isaiah 54, in verse 2, this is the instruction. This is the instruction to say, enlarge, this is what he says, enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home and spare no expense. Let me just tell you, he's talking about the language really of a tent, okay? Stretch the tent, extend it, move it out. There's tension in stretching, hello? It would be so much easier not to extend the wellspring. So much cheaper to not do it. And actually, as a leader, it'd be so much easier to say, well, no, I've done that. I mean, we're here, aren't we, right now? Why bother extending? We've achieved something. We've, we've even named a road. Do you know we named Wellspring Way? They said, oh, what do you want to call the name? We'll call it Wellspring Way. Thank you very much. Because there's a prophecy on this piece of land that that, that road's going to lead to a Wellspring. You could sit back and say, job done. No, no, no. It would be so, there's a stretching. And God is inviting us to stretch, to stretch ourselves, even with our gift, to stretch in order to see God's purpose expanding. He says, spare no expense. This is what the Hebrew, that it was really originally written, this is what it says. Spare no expense. It means withhold, do not. Withhold, do not. Retain, do not. So, so all that's being asked of us today is to not withhold. Now you might think, well, do you know what? I don't have actually a lot in terms of the size of the number, but I, could, I can give this. Then simply the word of God is, just don't withhold it. That's the heart, you see. 
I'm more interested here in the number of givers than the amount that's given. I'm more interested not in raising funds today, but, but raising faith. And faith comes when we don't withhold. And we simply say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And it feels like a stretch. But this is what I'm going to do. And the Lord sees our hearts. So just don't withhold what he's asking to. And then it does go on in verse 4, and we haven't got time. But he then says, don't be afraid. Then he says to them, don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. You know, when it comes to finances, sometimes leaders are afraid of talking about it because it's as if it's all we talk about. Well, it isn't. Our heart is to say, just don't be afraid. If there's a little bit of trembling in the gift, then that might be part of the faith. But don't give under pressure from me or under fear. Don't be afraid. I was prompted this week, and I thank the Holy Spirit for his grace. Because a number of months ago, many months ago, as a leadership team, we felt convicted that we wanted to give a first fruits tithe from our building fund. But because of the way the law is now, we can't do that legally. Because when we've given money to the building fund, we'd have to write to each individual person that's given a gift over all these years and then ask for permission. So we couldn't do it. I'd forgotten about this desire until this Thursday lunchtime. I got a call from Burkina Faso from our friend Moise and Elizabeth Ubda, or Moise is the one who called me. And, and he reminded me, and he said, uh, he didn't know what he was doing. He said, Tim, I've got this opportunity to build a church. There's a village that has a, um, the, the pastor went off years ago. The, there's no building. They've just got an iron sheet with some metal over it. And is there any chance that you could uh, help? And I was like, well, I'm not so sure. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say, remember what you said. Remember that desire. So this is, we met as trustees on Thursday night, and as I wrote to some people by email, just to let you know, we've decided that we're going to give 10% of everything that is given on this gift day, and around this gift day, we're going to give 10% of it away to other church building projects. Because that's God's heart, you see. It's not to an amass amount, but it's to activate faith. So if you give 10 pounds then one pound is going to end up a long way from Watford, perhaps. Uh, and listen, uh, and we don't really know, uh, we don't really know, we're going to pray about it. So if you know of a church building project that you've heard about, that you would like to suggest we consider in prayer, taking some seed, if you like, and planting it somewhere else, then please do email me. Just let me know, and we will pray about it. Because we don't know where it's all going to go, but we do know we're going to set aside 10%. And do you know what? That gift is going to keep on giving and keep on giving and keep on giving and that's the economy of God. So, I think I've probably said enough. You can be part of this. You are part of this. And what a joy when everyone's living for themselves that being part of the church means that we can be part of something bigger than ourselves. Something maybe no one will ever thank us for. And I do want to say, by the way, thank you to all those that gave and made this possible. It's amazing. Thank you. But now it's time to go again. To build a place of praise, a house of joy, and a home for generations. Now I'm going to say a simple prayer, and then we're going to give God praise. 
We're going to lift the roof as well as we can. And where you are at home, I'd encourage you to just lift your roof of your ceiling and your lounge, whatever. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we thank you for the lives that you want to transform. Thank you for how you're transforming ours. You've joined us to something else. And Lord, whether or not we see all the fruit ourselves, we pray, God, that what we do and how we give and what we pray and how we live and how we serve would achieve something really fruitful for your kingdom, Lord. So Lord, as we give, let there be joy in the house and joy in our homes. And I do want to pray, God, that these would not just be words on notes in front of me or on some video on YouTube, but they would become a reality. Lord, please, would you build in this place a place of praise? And Lord, would this church centre in the heart of Watford be a house of joy? And Lord, would you build here truly and magnificently a home for generations? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.